So, as I gave Val my scriptures, my issue, I changed them slightly, but pretty much on. And I'm going to be scripture-rich today, so if you're a follower along in the Bible, you'll, you'll want that. It'll be a little sword drill opportunity. Um, let's first read from Proverbs 1. I believe it's going to be 1 through 7 is where I'll stop, but let's go there. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here that common verse we know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'll stop there on that. And then from the New Testament, you'll see a pattern here. Uh, James 1-8, through James, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So today, um, I titled my uh, sermon, The Goal of, of Life. And I couldn't help today but uh, reflect upon the fact that it's the 1st of January. So uh, though I did not originally design my sermon strictly around um, that, I forgot to read the card, sorry, Bill. <laughs> uh, I didn't design it strictly around uh, New Year's. Uh, it connects quite well. And so I subtitled which is not here, uh, my, my title, The Goal of Life, More Than a New Year's Resolution. So I look up resolve. Resolve. As a verb, uh, one definition I liked is decide firmly on a course of action. To decide, uh, resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action. The, the example sentence they give is, she resolved to call Dana as soon as she got home. She, she was committed to it. It was determined, resolved, firmly on a course of action. Or as a noun, firm determination to do something. She received information that strengthened her resolve. All right. then, then the word resolution, you know, obviously connected here. Uh, a firm decision to do or not to do something. Uh, the quality of being determined or resolute. So, we have here a determination, a commitment, an aim, a target, a firm course of action that we set. And every uh, January, I don't know if it's an American tradition or a world tradition, I don't know, but do people everywhere set New Year's uh, resolutions? 
Well, as the opportunity arose for me to preach on New Year's Day, I couldn't help but contemplate that tradition that we have, at least, of making New Year's resolutions. And of course, we all know that they're not magical. They're not supernatural. January 1st does not have more power to help you fulfill a goal than any day of the year. We know that, right? But I don't think it's a bad tradition. I, I think there's logic. It's, but in the same vein as every morning I wake up with a new goal to make it a new day, right? Not because I can erase yesterday or because I can't set a new goal in an hour or an hour later or an hour later. You've got to kind of keep resetting, don't you? Especially if you flubbed, sinned, else flubbed is too soft. I mean, whatever the case may be, we always have to set goals and shoot for targets. But there is something about today, isn't there? We have 365 days ahead of us in 2023. We're, or, we're orderly people and God is an orderly God. So I see merit in the tradition of a New Year's resolution. But just don't give up on it. If you fail in, in, in a month, which most of you will, <laughs> statistically, on some of your resolutions, I'm just telling you, they say statistically 54, I think, percent of people before the month's over will fail their, their resolution. Okay. What I'm encouraging you to do is start fresh on February 1st or February 15th or March 3rd. Whatever day you fail and need to start over, don't wait for January 1st of 2024. Does that make sense? So I looked up on several websites. I already knew. And I, and I wish sometimes that being up here in the pulpit was it more interactive by tradition. And I, I, if I was rebellious, I'd, I'd let it be right now. But I won't. So in your heads... Before I tell you the top ten New Year's resolutions, I want you to think of what the top one or two, what comes to your mind. You be ready, so then you can proudly sit there and go, I knew it. All right? What do you think the first, number one, most common New Year's resolution is? And I bet you'll get it. Or at least within the first two. Exercise more, lose weight. All right? Those are the most common, top two. And then it goes on. Here's some other common ones. Get organized. Learn a new skill or hobby. Live life to the fullest. Save more money or spend less money. Quit smoking. Spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. Read more. Those are the top ten. These aren't necessarily bad goals. There's nothing sinful about trying to quit a bad habit or start a good one, is there? We could even find biblical support for some of these goals regarding how we handle our money or care for our bodies. But are there resolutions that all of us should have on our lists? I mean, I want to know, personally, and this is kind of what motivated this message a little, is I want to know what the Bible says on this matter. I know in Second uh, Peter it tells me that God gives us all things uh, pertaining to life and godliness. And so I rest on that verse a lot because it may not say anything about a computer in here or Scott's got to work in Limington or Mary, Mary, Margaret. or You know, I've done that before. I've talked about that. It doesn't give me that specific in the Bible. But everything I need for life and godliness can be found in God's Word. So that applies to my resolutions. I mean, does the Bible offer guidance on how to craft my list of resolutions. Better yet, if I could boil my list down to one resolution of all resolutions, what would it be? 
So today, that's what I plan to present to you is my little quest there to answer that question. Along with, the second motive was a curiosity I tend to have. Two parts. Over scriptural truths that I've read over and over, the common ones that I hear, the, I've either heard preached over the years, or everyone hears, I hear, I read, I go to, because I'm a Proverbs 3 guy. I love Proverbs 3. I'm addicted to Proverbs 3. One of the things I love is I can read that over and over and over, and every time I read it, I get something different out of it, which is why God's Word is called the living Word, in my opinion. So, so I'm motivated by that curiosity, but also, if I'm being honest, and I try real hard to hit your hearts with something, if it's bothering me, or if it's true in my life, I'd like to think I'm not the only one. And once in a while, maybe someone out there will go, thank you for saying that. There's scriptural truths that I've heard over and over that leave me still confused. That everyone talks about like it's so obvious, maybe they reference it like uh, that's the answer, and I still go, okay, but I'm, it doesn't really make sense to me yet, I need to learn more. So I'm motivated by all this today. What's a biblical resolution? I want to understand verses I've read over and over, and I want to understand the things that can confuse me, even though I shouldn't be, probably. And all of it led to this one concept of wisdom. All right. So on the 1st of January, it felt really appropriate to talk about wisdom. Now, I already told you I have a long history of loving Proverbs 3, which I will get to. I pretty much slip it into every message I ever teach. But most recently, it's been Proverbs 4. I really stretched myself a little bit recently and strayed from Proverbs 3, and I've been reading Proverbs 4. And, uh, and I've spent a lot of time in James 1. We're using that for our, um, you know, our uh, monthly study time, our shepherding groups. But also, I love James. I have, I've studied James. It's, I think, if you're like me, a lot of it, it's real practical, and it's, it's different. It's a different book, and I just gain so much when I read it. So James 1 is another place I, I pondered. But most recently, again, it's been Proverbs 4. Well, each of these passages focuses on wisdom and knowledge as well as practical guidance for this life, which we want, but promises of everlasting life. These verses and these concepts have drawn me in. I want to know more, and I have to assume that you do too. And so, with all this in mind, I stand before you today with the message I call the goal of life more than a New Year's resolution. Now, we're going to be scripture-heavy today. If you want to follow along, you may. I don't have it up on the screen. Proverbs 4 is where I'm going first. Um, if you are a Bible scholar at all, you might know that you know different books have different purposes, and uh, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature. So it doesn't. I don't know why that should shock me. Then every time I read a new proverb, because I read all kinds of them, and I go, "Oh my goodness, that's about." <laughs> I do it. I'm not in my head. I'm going, "That's about wisdom too." That's awesome. <laughs> really profound. So, let's read uh, 4. I'm going to start in verse 4 through 13. I'm going to stop a little bit. i got to take this off. It's really hot in this place. <clears throat> he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. And then here it is. Get wisdom! Exclamation point. Get understanding! Exclamation point. Now, I think that's striking to me. If you've ever texted or emailed anybody, they misuse exclamation points all the time. They abuse them, they throw ten of them in, and maybe it's not as exciting as they think it is. When God uses an exclamation point, I am listening more. Because a statement from God is pretty deep. We should be listening. And he puts an exclamation point. You hear me? I mean, 
God uses an exclamation point, it means something more. And now this is an imperative. Now my, my limit of language skills is about third and fourth grade because I taught that for 15 years and I know that. We taught there was four sentence types. Declarative makes a statement. Interrogative asks a question. Imperative gives a command or direction. And exclamatory shows excitement or enthusiasm. But you can put an exclamation point at the end of an imperative. All right? And so this is an imperative, a command, get wisdom, which could have ended in a period. But he puts an exclamation point. God is telling you this is important. It's two words. He's getting to the point. He's not beating around the bush. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. I hear a paternal voice in here, too. What my kids think is a lecture because I'm mad at them is often a desperate plea to help them see something now that will help protect them later. And that's what I hear God saying. If, if you just listen to me, there's riches beyond. There's peace. There's, you know, he's telling you. He is telling us because he's not going to force us. We have a loving God. But he's saying, often he tells us, get wisdom. Not because I'm commanding you. He is. But that's not why he's saying it with desperation and exclamation point. Because he knows what the other end of it is. And he just wants us to... If you just cleaned your room in five minutes without a fight, you had no idea the peace your parents will have and you'll get more from us. When we fight you for half an hour, we then no longer want to enjoy you. And it's that kind of voice I hear here from God. Not get wisdom because I'm God and I said so, but because I know what it brings when you do that. So God is telling you to get wisdom. And don't forsake her and she'll preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. And listen to this. Wisdom is the principal thing. So it didn't take me long in my study when I started in Proverbs 4 to start to see if I have one resolution above all resolutions, I think seeking wisdom is it. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And this verse got me. When you run, you will not stumble. And the reason that got me is that is a picture of such a clear path and such a confident direction that I can not only walk without anything getting in my way, I can run and not stumble. And see, I read verses like this. I'm kind of a little bit of a, a dreamer. or a, you know, I, I, And I apply it to school and I go, there is a way, God's telling me, if I put my trust in Him, if I seek wisdom that He promises He'll give me, which He does, right, in James, that I can be so confident in the direction I'm going that I cannot have hindrances and I cannot just walk and tiptoe safely, but I can run. And all of that's linked to, to wisdom. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let go. Keep her, wisdom, right? For she is your life. 
Proverbs 4. You see why I love it? Now, humor me. Let's go to Proverbs 3. I won't read the whole thing. I'm going to hit some highlights. Starting in verse 1, I will read, My son, do not forget my law, but let her, your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. And my Bible note tells me that the mercy and truth can be translated as wisdom, basically. So, let, mer- let not mercy forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Bind mercy around your neck. Keep it with you. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. There that is again. A connection between wisdom and fearing God. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. That's one of those verses that's always left me confused. I feel stupid sometimes because it's so simple sounding, but I still get stuck on what does it mean to fear God. And today I'm going to try to help you understand more like I tried to. But I know there, but I, even though I'm stupid a little bit on this, I know that there's a strong connection between wisdom and fearing God because it tells me so many times. I just don't know what it looks like sometimes to fear God. Right. So let's get to that in a moment. But fear God, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here and go to 13. You ready? Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. And I, I come to that because if you've been around long enough, you've probably heard a sermon on the difference between happiness and joy. I, I, I don't want to say it's beat up into the ground. It's all biblical truth. But I've heard it said so many times like it's profound that every time I hear it, I go, it's not profound anymore. I've heard this before. But there is a difference. And joy is the quality that even if there's trials around, you can still have joy. But that doesn't mean you have to like it, which would be happiness. Right? So I really get excited when I hear a verse that isn't about joy for a minute and says there's a way to be happy, too. It's not Being a Christian doesn't just mean that you have to have joy in trials. It, he's saying here that a man who finds wisdom can be happy. And that appeals to me. And if I'm being a little honest, I find that harder to be happy. I mean, I think I'm happy-ish, but life's so serious that I think I get stuck on being serious, serious-ish, <laughs> and, and forget to be happy and maybe convince myself that's not part of my life here on earth. And that's not true. God tells us we can be happy when we find wisdom. So be joyful for that. <laughs> and he goes on to say, uh, the Lord, I'll go in verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And long ago, I wrote a note after the pencil started to fade. I wrote it in pen. At one point in time, I fooled myself into thinking if I wrote it in pencil, that was somehow more appropriate in the Bible. But I just write in pen in my Bible now. It's okay. And I wrote a note that wisdom, sound wisdom, could be translated practical godliness. And, and discretion could be translated right decisions with understanding. So when I read this verse on my own now, I read it like this. Keep 
sound, practical godliness, and right decisions with understanding. Because that encourages me that I have a way I can make right decisions with understanding. That's wisdom. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. Okay, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. I just want to encourage you. I've got to believe there's people in this room today that don't sleep well. Or have had times where worry keeps you up. You're not abnormal if that happens. But I love the promise that there's a way for that not to have to be. If you have a chronic issue with it, then I am telling you to get right with God. Trust Him. Give Him your burdens. Because He tells us that it doesn't have to be your norm. He's not going to make my back pain go away because I'm 44 and I, I keep thinking it's going to go away next weekend or something, and it's not, I don't think, anymore. I'm physically changing as I get older, and God does not promise to heal that. That's part of this fallen world, isn't it? But he tells me here that there's a connection between wisdom and not having fear or terror or sleep issues because I trust in him and have peace. So if you're not experiencing that, don't give up. I'm going to skip ahead because I could spend all day in Proverbs 3, but at the end it says, the, uh, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. And another thing God does that I value, and He does it a lot in Proverbs, is He just always does these instant contrasts. He doesn't make me look too hard to find the alternatives, and I love that. Because ba- in life, there's always two categories. There really just is. You know, saved, not saved. It's, I know there's this gray area of practical living. There's murderers that we put over here, and then there's decent folk in the middle somewhere, which is most people probably, and then there's, but the decent folk don't get you to heaven. So there's still two categories. Right? You're either pregnant or you're not. You can't be a little bit pregnant. I always use that one because it helps me think that way. You can't say, well, I'm just, I'm just a little bit pregnant. You don't know where you are. <laughs> um, or you're not. Um, I love that he says the wise shall inherit glory but the shame shame shall be the legacy of fools and so the other thing is you're either wise or a fool alright I promise you this we're nearing the hump but I got two more proverbs I want to spend a little time in Um, I'd like to go to proverbs one seven, just one verse, just to remind you, because this is the one that kind of often is associated with the beginning of knowledge. I think it's someone that said the beginning of wisdom. I believe it says that some places. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I know that's a, a verse we need to come to, but like I said, it gets me confused a little. What does it look like to biblically fear God? I have some ideas. I asked my kids the other day this question, and um, I know when I compliment one, the other three will be like, what about me? But Rosie gave a good answer. She's pretty good at this. She has a great memory for these things. And she understood her version. It had to do with God is mighty and powerful. And so there's a sense to fear things, people, beings that are mighty and powerful. He he can do great things. So, So even her initial thought of what it means to fear God was that fear his power. I think there's some truth to that definition. 
Well, let me share what I looked up. At the, at the note, it said, <clears throat> sorry, it says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the only basis for true knowledge. This fear is not distrustful terror of God. And so that is what always holds me up. It, you know, if I walked into a dark alley and there were lots of hiding places and the lights flickering and you can't see well and I'm in the city, I'm going to have fear. Now, there may be nobody in that alley, but if I hear a cat knock over a can, I'm going to jump and act like I'm about to defend myself against some guy with a gun with my fist. <laughs> he was very intimidated, I'm sure. That is not the fear of God that leads to wisdom. We don't have to fear the unknown and that he's going to cause us harm. That's not the fear. But yet, that's what I keep reverting back to and why I think I struggle. It's because that's what I think of with fear. But rather, the reverent awe, and this is what Rosie said. Oh, you're, you're not Rosie. Where'd she go? <laughs> the, I just pointed at Lily. I get confused too, guys. Um, the, the, the reverent awe and worshipful response of faith to the God who reveals himself as creator, savior, and judge. Now, I'm not going to stop there like that just solved the problem. I, I, I think you might hear things today, I did, that might help you understand the fear of God better. Now, if you've been around long enough, when I first started teaching messages at, at this church, um, I, I used to throw in a Scott thought, and I thought that was cute. <laughs> but I threw one in today. All right? So if you miss those, I've got a Scott thought today. Perhaps the better way to grasp the fear of the Lord is to consider the contrast of those who do not fear the Lord. All right? So not real deep. But sometimes if I can't understand what something means to do, I think, well, what's the opposite? And understanding the opposite helps me understand it. So, maybe it's not so much about fearing the Lord that I need to learn more about, but what it means to not fear the Lord. So, in Proverbs 1, we get an answer to this. I think it's starting to get really clear. Read with me, if you would like, Proverbs 1, 22. And I'm going to read through verse 33. Starting Proverbs 1.22, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Maybe you're squirming in your seat right now. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, will dwell safely. 
and will be secure without fear of evil. That's like a resolution in a song where they're playing dissonance, 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 and you can't handle it, and then they resolve it, and you're like, thank God. But that picture should cause you fear. Don't you see there's a contrast, like I said, fear evil or fear God. And we don't have to fear evil if we fear God. But if we don't fear God, did you hear the picture? When God laughs in scriptures, it's never good. You've heard that sermon probably a million times too, right? The only times you hear God laughing in scripture is not something that funny. I don't want to be that person that gets everything I wanted, everything I asked for, coming to me. Because I didn't fear God. So, that helped me a lot. To better understand what the fear of the Lord is, to understand what it is to not fear the Lord. I hope that helped you. One more Proverbs, and I won't read the whole thing, but we're going to go to two. We're right there now anyway. Might as well. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 9. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. See, there's another one that helps me. If you do all that, because he knew what I was asking. It's like when I read that, I felt like God was talking to me. Then you'll understand, Scott, the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From the mouth, from his mouth, excuse me, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. There's a great picture there, isn't there? He stores it up. It's ready when we're ready. And where do we get wisdom? From God. He is wisdom. But He's ready. He's got a storehouse, an abundance of wisdom. Ready for us. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Then you will understand Righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Alright, so my little journey of using some Proverbs is wrapping up there. Thank you for humoring me. I hope that benefited you. Now, I read these Proverbs. I read these Proverbs over and over. By themselves, portions at a time, all together. I actually encourage you, I almost did this today, is read Proverbs 1 through Proverbs 4. I think there's 31 of them, isn't there? Actually, you could do it the month of January. There's 30, is there 31 days in January? If you start today and read Proverbs 1, you could read the Proverbs in a month if you do one a day. I think I'm right. You can check me later. Yeah, I think I am. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so there's a goal for you in your pursuit of wisdom. Okay, so after doing all that reading, I decided it was time to stop and define wisdom. We've used that word a lot. For this, I went to Daniel 2.20. Okay, it's not going to be complete, but go to Daniel, oops, the other way. Daniel 2.20. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
Okay, it's about five books over from Proverbs. Daniel 2.20 Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Okay. Now, just to kind of fill in this picture a little, I'll go on here. It says, And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise kind of reminded me at that moment of uh, even faith is a gift of God. You know, this, everything good. We don't earn this. I can't work hard enough. If you read the Proverbs for 31 days, you in your own strength aren't going to be the one that got yourself wisdom. It's going to be that God gave it to you and you let him. <laughs> you know, you were, you were opening up that pathway by reading the Proverbs. But the wisdom comes from God. And that's the means by which he gives it to you. His word is a primary means. But he gives the wisdom to wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. Right? See this picture of wisdom. And then my Bible that I use, I, I'm still New King James, but I have uh, the New Geneva Study Bible, and there's a great article, and I won't read it to you, but uh, there's an article in there called The Wisdom and Will of God. I love these articles. If you have a study Bible and you have great, uh, trustworthy articles, they sometimes can be the key to understanding that devotion in a given day. But it starts off with a, a, a definition. Wisdom in Scripture means choosing the best and noblest end at which to aim. So like with New Year's resolutions, there's a target. Well, wisdom in Scripture means choosing the best and noblest end at which to aim, along with the most appropriate an effective means of achieving that end. So how are you going to meet that goal? Maybe it's reading Proverbs every day for a month is your first goal. Old Testament wisdom literature, including Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and certain of the Psalms, dealt not only with the life of worship or religious exercise in the restricted sense, but also with everyday moral behavior and family, social, and business concerns. And this is really cool. I'd already chosen James before I read this, but I just thought it validated why maybe God led me to James, is that uh, it says, um, in the New Testament, the letter of James might also be considered wisdom literature in its plain-spoken description of practical Christian living. I thought that was cool. There was a reason I felt a connection between Proverbs and James. So... Let's go. We're well over the hump, guys. We're going to get. We're, we're kind of going down into the point here. But uh, let's go to James one, and read two through eight. <clears throat> this is the last big scripture reading. Starting verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. That can also be thought of as be whole. Okay? Lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, or in other translations say generously, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Now, pastor recommended, he knew I was doing James for our shepherding group, and he recommended this book called Radically Whole by David Gibson. Small book promotion. I'm only about 50 or 60 pages, you know, about 60 pages in. I would be prepared to recommend it. If you're in my, st- my shepherding group, I really recommend it. It will be a great uh, tool to add to our discussion. I think you will find David, I, he's becoming a, like a favorite author already. He writes in a way I get. He's convicting, but he's clear. I believe if you're looking for a new book in the new year, David Gibson, Radically Whole, all based on the book of James. Small book promotion. I have no money involved in that. I don't know the guy personally. Um, but in his book, Gibson says, uh, the point is this. <clears throat> Words and ideas that we might apply to sincere and undivided creatures are actually being used by James in relation to God. So God gives singularly and sincerely in order to create single-minded sincere-hearted children. He's, he's, he's a, we're supposed to be imitators of God. He, he's regularly doing things to set an example for us. And God gives singularly and sincerely in order to create single-minded, sincere-hearted children. Gibson goes on to say in this book, it is not fundamentally about saying or doing the right things or even believing the right things, important as these are, but rather about receiving the gift of wisdom from God so that we become like Him. The path to wholeness, perfect and complete, is the path to imitating God by receiving what He gives. Singleness of heart over and against a double heart. We cannot see God Unless we are like him. And to be like him, we have to be undivided. It's a little taste of the book. Christian wisdom means making the fear of God, which is reverent worship and service of him, the goal of life. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Don't you value statements like that? Because it's, it, there's no like subtlety there. There's no gray. There's not a lot of extra words that can go, well, that could mean... <laughs> I like those ones that you, know, you can't really argue with another church. Well, it doesn't mean that. It means this. No. He, pretty clear here. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. Top of your resolution list. So set your goals to start a new year. All right? I hope you can reach each be successful in conquering a bad habit or having victory in forming a good habit. May God bless you in your efforts to lose weight, quit smoking, save money, or read more books. But I propose that on this New Year's Day, we each resolve to get wisdom! Exclamation point. To be single-minded and faithful as we ask God for the wisdom we lack and that he promises to give generously and in abundance. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these moments in your word and the black and white clarity, uh, the, the, the importance you put in wisdom and gaining it and seeking it and giving it and wanting us to have it. And the many promises you bless us with as a result of us following that. 
I pray that this New Year's Day we will set resolutions that are biblical and sound and in accordance with your will and way and that honor you and that we can support one another in those pursuits and that as a church made up of the individual setting these goals, as a church we will also see results from these goals and that we will um, be a light in darkness in this community in this year. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we need to stand up and sing.